Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 36 of X Laps, where we're going to be wrapping up the Dawn of X Wave 1 number 4s. And we do so with, uh, well, the book that usually starts the charge. It's actually uh, the anchor book of the number 4s, and that is X Men Volume 5, number 4. This had a March 2020 cover date. The story is called Global Economics, written by the head of X himself, Jonathan Hickman, pencils by Lionel Francis Yu, inks by Jerry Allen Gillen and Lionel Yu, colors Sonny Go, letters VCs Clayton Cowles, designs Tom Muller, edits Beasel White Sabolski, had a cover price of $3.99, and Happy New Year, this one went on sale January 1st, 2020. Now we open with our roll call, and it's a fairly short one. We've got Cyclops, Magneto, Charles Xavier, Apocalypse, and Gorgon. And we open in uh, Davos, Switzerland, or maybe Davos, Switzerland. I've said it before, and I'm sure I'll say it again. I'm not a worldly guy. I don't know how to pronounce things. (laughs) I don't know how to pronounce things in my own country, much less anywhere else. Uh, This is Switzerland, though, and uh, this is a meeting of the World Economic Forum. So now, since Krakoa is, you know, now a thing, and is now acknowledged by many as being an actual nation or world power, several members of its government have been invited to the table. And uh, these are the autumn seats of the Quiet Council, which, if you missed the roll call 15 seconds ago, would be uh, Professor X, Magneto, and A. They're accompanied by two of the great captains of Krakoa, and, well, yeah, it's Cyclops and Gorgon. Hey, then we get our credits, so I guess we're going for, like, the cinematic presentation for this one here. We get the little before, and then we get the credits, and then we go into the comic. So, let's get back into the comic. And, uh, the Krakoan contingent has entered whatever building this meeting of the minds is taking place at, and they're, uh, met with a semi-warm reception. Now, the autumn seats are granted access to the meeting room, while the captains are advised they're gonna have to stay outside. Cyclops is pretty cool with this, but uh, Gorgon gets kind of gets in the face of one of the uh, the dudes here, you know, threatening to use his sword. And so, we follow Xavier and, and company into the meeting room, where they find themselves seated at a table with dignitaries from Wakanda, China, and the United States, as well as several VIPs from Brazil, Italy, Switzerland, and India. Huh, an ambassador from the United States. I wonder who's going to be the bad guy here. Hmm... Anyway, from here we get a full full info page on to list all these folks here, as well as to give us the menu for the meal that they'll share during this meeting, because I'm sure we all wanted to know that they'd be eating watermelon gazpacho. <sighs> Anywho, after introductions are made, our diners all toast to peace. Worth noting, Magneto is referred to here as Eric. Is he back to being Eric Lenscher? Uh, last I read X-Men, they had like this bug up their butt about calling him Max Eisenhot. 
I don't know if that's still a thing or not. It's also worth noting that Apocalypse introduces himself as Apocalypse, stating that uh, humans are unfit to refer to him by anything else, and I think I prove that every time I call him A. We flash to the floor above, where a gaggle of geeks is preparing to attack. They're wearing like these sort of like baubles on their heads to interfere with uh, Xavier's mind readability. But that doesn't stop the professor from, you know, sussing them out to begin with. He knows they're there, he just doesn't know what they're thinking. Now, while the pleasantries continue to be exchanged, Xavier contacts Cyclops telepathically to inform he and Gorgon about the pressing threat. Xavier tells them to, quote, be good boys and take care of the bad guys, which, I I don't know, doesn't feel like how a natural conversation between Scott and Charles might go. Calling them, be good boys, I mean, saying be good boys, that's a little cute, but let's get back to it. The meal has been served here, and Magneto is speaking with some dignitaries about this new normal, the the new normal that is Krakoa, and how everyone needs to adapt and accept it. Hodari, the Wakandan attaché, suggests that Krakoa is working in their own best interests, but he adds that that's just what countries and nations do, so it's some sort of national common ground here. Everybody's out for themselves, trying to, you know, look out for their, their own best interests. Now, Magneto uses this, you know, polite opening to try and sway Wakanda into signing their treaty, to which Hodari smiles, but politely declines. The Indian representative questions Krakoa uh, closing off its borders to the rest of the world, and wonders if that's, you know, the best play here, when, you know, when a new nation is trying to establish itself and to be trusted within the global marketplace and power structure. From here, our douchebag U.S. ambassador puts it a little bit more bluntly, while tugging on his left ear very obviously. He basically calls the mutants out as being cowards, which perks Apocalypse to raise an eyebrow. Uh, Or, I don't know if I'm allowed to call him that here, since I am human. Um, He asks if if it truly feels as though the mutants are in hiding on Krakoa, but the subject will soon change. But first, let's look at this for a second. We've got yet another very safe target in these Dawn of X books. Over the past few episodes, we've had, you know, screeds against big pharma, big corporations, the CIA, and now a U.S. ambassador. I mean, when we started this, I referred to the writing as, uh, at the risk of swiping a DC Comics property, I, 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 I referred to it as being brave and bold. These targets they've chosen are anything but. Now, Magneto steers the conversation back to the reason they're here, and, duh, Kirko and Miracle Drugs. One of the ambassadors doesn't completely trust these drugs and wonders about, like, the frequency in which they'll have to be taken, you know? Perhaps fearing that, uh, you know, once they start taking them, they're going to be, like, in service to the mutants forever, you know? So they won't be able to stop and they'll just be, be dependent on them. From here, Magneto quotes Huxley, which is... I don't know, I think it's supposed to be deep. Clever? I don't know. All the while this is going on, Cyclops is blasting the hell out of some of the bad guys on that other floor. One of the dignitary kind of laughs that Magneto had to quote a human author since, you know, there really aren't that many notable mutant writers. Magneto says, hey, don't worry about it, there will be. The U.S. ambassador douchebag continues tugging on his left ear rather obviously. I wonder what that's all about. Uh, Magneto continues kind of tearing into human institutions. Uh, He comments that every thousand or so years, humans kind of ruin everything and have to start over from scratch. He cites the end of the Bronze Age as an example. 
U.S. Ambassador Riley gives the big ol' who cares, to which Apocalypse comments that he does. You know, he was there when the Bronze Age fell, and what more, he was the cause of it. Oh, and while this is going on, Cyclops is still fighting dudes. Another dignitary comments that she fears this sort of posturing from the mutants can only lead to war. Magneto corrects her. He says, you know, maybe the old Magneto would do something to trigger a conflict, but this is a new, an all-new and all-different Magneto, and he would not do that. This time out, they're prepared to have uh, maybe a non-violent sort of war. Magneto lays it out here. With their drugs, they're going to take everybody's money. With that money, they're going to buy everything, including banks, schools, the media, politicians, and then just the world. Uh, They'll remove people they deem as unfit from having any economic power, which will ultimately snuff them out. And so, ipso facto, uh, without bad ideas and bad people, there will be no war. And uh, the rest of the table is justifiably gobsmacked here. They're just like, "Uh uh-huh. Now, Cyclops reports back to Xavier that he and Gorgon have taken care of the threat... And this takes us to an info page, which reintroduces us to the Krakoan captains, and uh, we'll go through them here. Why not? Cyclops is the captain commander of the X-Men. Magic is the captain of the Sextant. Bishop is the captain of Hellfire Trading, and Gorgon is captain and council guard, meaning that Gorgon is responsible to guard all the members of the Quiet Council. Speaking of Gorgon, we get a page of him. We join him, and he's amid a pile of bloody bodies. Looks like he spares one of them. I... I I don't know that he... (laughs) I thought they weren't supposed to kill people, but it sure looks like there's a lot of dead bodies here. But uh, he spares one of them, and he suggests that the bad guy maybe embrace his mercy, you know? (laughs) Don't look a gift horse in the mouth here. You were spared for, you know, for my, you know, good mood, I guess. Back at the table, Magneto notices that Riley keeps tugging on his ear, which, I mean, it's been very, very unsubtle this whole time, right? Uh, That is to say, the dude might as well have been wearing a neon sign, right? Uh, Magneto advises Riley that they're not coming. He then fills in the rest of the table about the bad guys Riley planted on the other floor. Riley starts to get all panicky and starts throwing around accusations, and uh, honestly, with as blustery and blowhardy this character is, I'm surprised he wasn't drawn as being fat and sweaty. I think that's usually the the go-to art shorthand for this kind of a character. Anywho, amid his blustering, he questions how long this piece the mutants speak of might persevere. Xavier calmly responds with, One month. He informs the table that Riley sent that Wetworks team to Krakoa to kill him, which flashes us back to the final page of X-Force number one. Riley flat out denies the charge. Magneto doesn't buy it, but informs the table that Krakoa has a law prohibiting them to respond in kind. You know, that kill-no-man precedent. Xavier removes his Cerebro helmet, and he goes on to give a speech. He says he still loves the humans, and despite everything, he'll never stop believing them in them. With a smirk, he again accuses Riley of sending the killers to Krakoa and suggests that he had similar designs today with his cadre of uh, easily disposed of geeks. Riley looks to his peers, trying to get them to see reason. You know, the mutants want to take over the world, and uh, humanity is just expected to simply let them? Xavier puts his helmet back on and assures the table that the next time something like this happens... It won't end the same way. Magneto thanks the table for being such good teachers, showing them everything not to do in creating and growing a nation. Our Krakoan contingent leaves the meeting, with Magneto suggesting nobody ever attempt to try them again, because if and when they do, they damn sure gonna get a response. And that is where we leave 
X-Men number four. And uh, next up, we have Marauders number five, which uh, I'm, I'm rather looking forward to. But first, let's talk about this issue. Now, if you remember from last episode, if uh, for the handful of people that actually listened to Fallen Angels Day, because <laughs> the numbers on, on Fallen Angels Day is a little, a little rough. <laughs> and, you know, I totally understand why. It's, uh, it's not a great book. <laughs> And if anybody wants to listen to you know thirty plus minutes of me complaining about a bad book, yeah, I don't think that's a that's something people want to do. But when we discussed the horrendously dull Fallen Angels number four, I commented that if we're going to continue this project and see it through, these books are going to have to improve and fast. So here's the question: Was X Men number four an upswing in quality? Undoubtedly, though. It's not exactly a high bar to clear, is it? Another question, was it fun to read? I don't know. I really can't say that it was a blast. Um, I mean, this is a book and an era that abuses the info page format, right? I complained, or I've observed, that we have a lot of info pages. And here we get an entire issue that might have been better summed up in just a handful of text pages. I mean, we get some info here. We get some accusations. We get Magneto carrying himself with a uh, with a swell amount of swagger. But still, I can't say as though I had a whole lot of fun with it. Now, something about this issue that I've been sort of commenting on in other discussions is how these Dawn of X books are taking on really safe targets. Like we weren't going to have Magneto butt heads with the Wakandan attaché here, right? It had to be the stupid American. And I'm not a jingoist by any definition of the word, but to use the American as the mustache-twirling bad guy, it feels kind of like lazy, low-hanging fruit type of writing, you know? This is the sort of writing that's not going to offend anybody except the people you want for it to offend, you know? Does that make any sense? You know, personally, I'm not offended by the content, but perhaps more, more so by, like, the intent and just the laziness of the effort. I mean, this isn't deep writing. This is... This is strawmanning, and it's, uh, it's lazy. Um, now, speaking of potentially low-effort writing, Magneto says that they're going to remove certain people from power, and I'm already kind of cringing at the thought of this uh, potential parade of strawmen that we're about to see trotted out. I mean, a current-year Marvel book calling out and canceling people? Yeah, we're going to need an adamantium-laced umbrella to save us from those anvils. Now, Magneto... You know, warts and all here, he had some pretty good lines. Um, and it's strange that he was given, you know, the pulpit more so than Xavier. Xavier really didn't do a whole heck of a lot, but make a sort of forced-sounding speech at the end, wherein he accused Riley of sending the Wetworks geeks to Krakoa. We don't actually get any confirmation of that. Are we to assume that Riley's lying? Are we to assume that Riley's part of the Xeno Collective? Um... On that subject here, was Riley one of the ambassadors that Magneto gave that tour to all the way back in House of X number one? I, I want to say he was. I couldn't say for sure, but I do remember um, the an American delegate or an American ambassador uh, being made to look quite the fool, and I think he tried to pull a gun on a guy who has the power of magnetism, so there's that. Uh, the Cyclops and Gorgon intercuts were there. Not sure we needed so many of them. Though in fairness, by the end of the issue, it clearly feels as though Magneto and the gang were running out of uh, clever things to say and clever points to make, so any expenditure of panels away from the table of power was probably a good thing. 
uh, the art felt uh, a little weaker than usual. Uh, Lionel, you seems like he's trying to morph into like a Gary Frankel-like here, uh, and he's doing so with limited success. A few of the faces we see here almost seem blatantly swiped from a Gary Frank work, while others just sort of look blobby and without features. It's a mixed bag. Though, uh, for at least part of this issue, uh, Lionel inked his own pencils, so maybe that has something to do with the inconsistency here. I, I'm not a much of a, uh, enough of an art expert to uh, say one way or another. Overall, though, how did I feel about this issue? I liked it, but I didn't love it. Um, it's better than the last issue of X-Men we looked at, and uh, World's better than the books we discussed over the previous three episodes, but still... Kind of weak for what I what I thought was going to be like the flagship book of this line, you know, the straw that stirred the drink. I expected more, but, you know, hey, that might just be my problem. Maybe I'm, <laughs> I shouldn't get mad at something for not being what I want it to be, and uh, maybe I'm just going into this book in particular with uh, expectations a little bit too high. But, you know, liked it, didn't love it, don't know what to expect next issue. Um, I don't know if we'll go back to the old biddies again, or if we're going to be onto something else altogether. So we'll see, uh, you know, a handful of episodes down the line where that goes. But uh, since we did just wrap up the Dawn of X Wave 1 number 4s, let's rank them. Let's rank them here. And uh, it's getting harder and harder to rank these things because uh, the quality is uh, kind of uh, all over the place. Um, number one book of the, of, the, of the month here, or of the number 4s, is, uh, is Marauders, of course. Marauders was the strongest book this time out. Followed surprisingly, uh, you know, for me by Excalibur. I think the Excalibur books have always been in teetering around the fourth and fifth of the list, and here it is at number two for me. Uh, this issue, X Men number four, would come in in the number three spot, followed by New Mutants, then X Force, and then finally Fallen Angels. So. Marauders, Excalibur, X-Men, New Mutants, X-Force, Fallen Angels are my rankings. I look forward to hearing uh, some of your rankings to see uh, where you place these books. I don't know. I I feel like maybe this X-Men, my take on this X-Men issue may differ from some folks's uh, because I've heard some good things about this run, um, though without any kind of specificity. So um, we'll see. We'll see how uh, how folks uh, agree or disagree. I, I, I encourage anyone to reach out. But uh, speaking of reaching out, we do have some uh, mail to attend to here. And uh, we're going to start with Damien. And he's talking about New Mutants number four. And he says, I've been reading... This is all regarding uh, Boom Boom's characterization in New Mutants number four, which I uh, took issue with. And uh, we're going to see here that Damien agrees. So he says, I've been reading Boom Boom stories right from the start. I picked up the Marvel UK reprint of Secret Wars 2, number 5, way back in 1986. It always sticks in my mind as they reprinted it with an amazing Kerry Gamble cover from Marvel Age Annual number 1. I transferred to Marvel US by the time she made her second appearance in X-Factor, and I picked up every single appearance of her until I had to cut back on comics when I went to university in 1992. This means she's one of the characters who I know their early history really well. This means I find this issue of New Mutants infuriating. And uh, Damien is about to raise a point that I had totally forgotten about. He says, In her very earliest stories, it is established that her father is a drunk who beat her. This is why she runs away from home. It's why she's angry and rebellious. 
I do not believe that Boom Boom would get drunk enough to fall flat on her face more than once in her life. In fact, I imagine her refusing to join the party because she's expected to be there. Bingo. I totally, it totally slipped my mind that she'd run away from home because of the abuse she received at the hands of her drunken father. You'd have to assume that uh, with that being this you know, huge turning point in her life, she'd it would stand to be to reason she'd be a lot less likely to imbibe to the point where she can't even stand on her own two feet, much less. And I mean, every scene we see her in here, she's carrying a damn bottle of whiskey with her. Every time we see her, no matter where she is, where she goes, she's carrying a bottle. Unless, of course, we're headed toward an intervention story, which I joked about during one of the New Mutants issues we talked about, as saying that is not a story I care to ever read because. No, I don't need that in my life. Damien continues, I know why she's so out of character. It's all down to Next Wave. Even Jemis and Casada, who could be incredibly lax with continuity, were wise enough to say Next Wave was out of continuity. I still do, I still do not understand how it was decided to recreate Boom Boom as a Paris Hilton stand-in. I can't think of a less appropriate character beat. Who's equating a scrappy streetwise runaway with a spoilt heiress? Nonsense. And you know... I remember feeling, you know, back in the mid, mid-aughts, mid I think we called them, uh, I remember feeling like sort of a man on an island for not really caring about caring for Next Wave. Um, it wasn't because of Boom Boom or anything. I just thought the concept was a little too, you know, LOL random. At a time before, LOL random was like the, the language of comedy on the internet. <laughs> I just, it really, it really annoyed me. I thought it was pretty to look at, but it really annoyed me. Uh, Damien continues... Of course, the decision to bring Next Wave into continuity was made a few years ago in the Avengers books, and I'm sure is an influence on this Boom Boom. I just wish it wasn't. And now, this whole continuity wrinkle is news to me because I never assumed that it wasn't in continuity. Um, You know, the Quesada era of Marvel was, as you put it, lax with continuity, and I think that might be putting it kindly. I'd suggest that Joe Q was more of a... at the risk of coming across crass, um, a star effer. I think that's what we would say, who would let pretty much anybody stomp all over the Marvel pantheon of characters if it meant he'd get a call from USA Today or be tagged in a Joss Whedon or Kevin Smith tweet. He would do whatever it took. Uh, With that said, I assume Warren Ellis was just given carte blanche to do whatever he wanted with whatever characters he wanted until, as he usually goes with Warren, he gets tired of them and moves on, usually vowing never to write superhero comics again until six months later when we start the cycle all over again. Uh, Damien continues, My feelings about Boom Boom really colored my reaction to the whole book, but there were some good points. As you said, it's interesting to see a drug cartel wanting to control the Krakoan drugs. They lay on the drug dealers slash big pharma comparisons a bit too heavily, but it's a different approach. I was also pleased to see the link back to the Hoxpox info pages about countries who wouldn't trade officially with Krakoa. Knowing that things are planned gives me more confidence in the direction of Dawn of X. And totally, the uh, cartel angle was interesting and creative. Uh, though, as you, as you say here, the big farmer bits were laid on a little thick. I've got like a real... It's probably wildly apparent here, but I got a pet peeve about writers using low-hanging fruit. Um, I mean, I said it today when we were talking about X-Men number four. It's just so low, low effort, and it looks like you're saying something. You know, taking a position when you're really just not... Um, it's like, what's next? Maybe next time out, Marvel Girl and Storm will visit, like, a Walmart-like store and find something to complain about. Or maybe Strong Guy will visit a McDonald's-like fast food place and find something to complain about. I mean, if you're going to come across as self-righteous, 
at least be a little bold. Stop picking the easy targets. You know, give us, the readers, a reason to think critically. And maybe maybe don't waste our time so much parroting late-night talk show hosts with the, with the easy targets here. Uh, Damien continues. You're absolutely right that the twins are creepy. I didn't know that they were pre-existing characters. It seems like none of the other people in the story are familiar with them. I wonder if they'll become villains. Uh, they seem to be to enjoy escalating the violence between the kidnappers, and uh, I did check the wiki on them, and I guess they were used as hounds for Ahab during the extermination miniseries, which I still haven't gotten around to reading, but it is sitting on the shelf waiting for me. Um, it looks like they were also part of whatever the hell Age of X-Men was as well. Um, I'm guessing it was probably a different version of them, because from what little I know of Age of X-Men, X- Age of X-Men... It was sort of like another universe, another dimension, right? Uh, Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) All I know is when I look at the covers of those, I kind of cringe a little bit. Uh, Damien continues. It seems a really odd choice to return to the Shi'ar next issue when I seem to remember this story being a three-parter. Weird. And yeah, it's it's kind of all over the place, isn't it? Um, If this is a three-parter, if you're remembering right, why not just bang them all out in a row? Um, I will say, though, it now makes a little bit more sense why some of the Dawn of X reading order lists I've been trying to, trying to, like, decode and figure out, they list the New Mutants issues, like, out of order, you know, so, uh, now I see why. And I gotta wonder if maybe these two issues coming out in one month was just giving Jonathan Hickman a break, helping him stay afloat with his X-books and his other obligations, because otherwise this makes zero sense at all. Um, it really, I mean, the, how jarring it was going from the Shi'ar to the farm, and now we're going back from the farm to the Shi'ar, and we're just going to go back from the Shi'ar to the farm again after that. It's, it's very disjointed. Now, uh, uh, Damien wraps up his message with, uh, by the way, I really enjoyed your coverage of the Texas book, and this is Uncanny X-Men at the State Fair of Texas. It's always nice to see a bit of undiscovered Carrie Gamble art. You did throw me with your mention of Equus, who I heard is Ekus. I, I think that's Ekus, which was the play where Harry Potter showed everyone his wand. And I've never, I've never seen Harry Potter. I've never. Uh, I don't know if I've made it clear on this show. I, I don't ever really see movies. Um, I can't sit still long enough to watch movies, so I don't see them. And uh, yeah, I, I've never seen a Harry Potter, so I don't know how he. E-Q-U-U-S is pronounced. <laughs> then again, I don't know how E-Q-U-E-S is pronounced either. I just took a shot at it. But uh, thank you so much for checking it out. Uh, that piece was a long time coming. I actually wanted to cover it on the blog ever since I found it, like a year and a half ago. But uh, back then, when I did find it, uh, Chris's on Infinite Earths was a strictly DC Comics-only blog. I kind of imposed rules on myself, and they were unflinchingly rigid, and, and they only mattered to me, but I'm a pretty weird dude, so I, I adhered to them. Now, after some life-altering events earlier this year occurred, I stopped caring so much about the rules and decided to just write about whatever the hell I felt like writing. And uh, I also allowed myself to include things like podcasts on Chris's on Infinite Earth.com, which was uh, previously sort of like a church and state, you know, don't cross the stream sort of thing for me in my head. You know, sort of like blog posts go here, podcasts go there, and never the two shall meet. Um, like I said, though, life-altering events happened, and I kind of got over myself and my rules. Now, the state fair issue was a lot of fun. I really love sharing things that, uh, you know, you don't see shared a dozen times a day on your social media platform of choice. Because, honestly, there's, like, only so many times 
you can see someone share Spider-Man cradling Gwen Stacy's dead body before you just get tired of it. Though, in fairness, every time that is shared, which is, I think, every 12 seconds, it does get hundreds of bits of engagement. So maybe I should just start doing that. Uh, it's sad as it might sound, I kind of pride myself on trying to give folks who bother to follow me something new and novel to look at rather than the cheap heat. <laughs> You know, I do what I can. But uh, thank you so much for the message, Damien. Uh, next, we have a message from Ed Moore, and this is regarding the reading order per post the Dawn of X number sixes that I talked about last episode here, because we only get a list in the back of these books that go up to issue six, and then it's the Wild West. <laughs> it's I don't know how it's going to go. Uh, Ed says, as I asked about... Um, the miniseries we have uh, X-Men plus Fantastic Four and we also have Empire colon X-Men coming up and I asked how to do those you know how would, would we do those here and Ed says I would do Empire as an episode and X-Men FF as an episode the only downside is that it would be longer than your normal X-Labs shows and here's kind of what I'm thinking I like the idea of doing these ser- these miniseries all in a row like without six or seven episodes between each installment what I might do is say have, you know, episodes of X-Men Fantastic Four all in a row, right? So we'll do, on if, if, if Monday is the day we do one, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we'll do two, three, and four, knock them all out. So all four episodes dedicated to the miniseries. My question from here is where would something like that fit? You know, do I do all four around the time the first issue would have hit the stands? Or do I do all four when the last issue would have hit the stands? I'm... Maybe I'll just include the list of X-Book releases from February 2020 until now on the blog and see if we can't all put our heads together and plot a course here. Um, I think the ship has already kind of sailed as it pertains to covering these issues in like a legit chronological order. Since we are getting flashbacks and flash-forwards as we're being released here, I mean... In Fallen Angels number one, it looks like Betsy's first mission as Captain Britain was already done. You know, I mean, hell, Fallen Angels probably should have been done all in one episode because uh, it still would have been a short one. Uh, we saw that Cypher was already back from Shi'ar Space in X-Force number four. We've got the weird New Mutants jumping from story to story. A lot of out-of-order stuff, right? So maybe when, like, all said and done and like, I don't know, Dusk of X or Sunset of X or whatever they're going to wrap this era up with happens, maybe then I'll put together, like, a chronological playlist of how these episodes ought to go, but... uh We've hopefully got months and months and months and months and months before we have to worry about that, though. Again, this is Marvel. So, I mean, I could check uh, Bleeding Cool right now and find out that, uh, hey, you know, Dawn of X is done. But uh, we'll see. But thank you for the uh, for the uh, suggestion there, Ed, and we will, uh, we'll see how it goes. We will see how it goes. Uh, finally, we have a tweet from uh, Sean Ross from Pulp to Pixel and Secret Wars and Beyond. He's also uh, the Alpha Flight co-host for From Claremont to Claremont. And he's discussing, uh, uh, what is it, Fallen Angels number four. He says, I really like the creative team, but man, this was a rough read. And yes, it was. (laughs) And like I've said uh, in previous episodes here, I've heard good things about Brian Hill's work uh, over at DC, but I haven't read any of it. I have heard good things about Batman and the Outsiders. Um, And uh, Simon Kudransky... I enjoy him on Spawn. So, I mean, uh, that seems like a recipe for something good, right? Some good creators, and uh, yeah, this is a rough one. (laughs) 
this is a rough one. And, you know, the fact that these, re- these creators are held in somewhat of a regard makes it makes me question whether or not I should, like, express an opinion because uh, I find so much of what we encounter online is, uh, I don't know, I, I feel like... I feel like the uh, there's a currency on on giving giving better reviews than books sometimes deserve because it uh, legitimizes us because we'll get a retweet from a creator or something or we'll get a uh, we'll get an attaboy from a creator and that's why I kind of second guess a lot of reviews I see online where we're giving books ten out of ten scores which they say ten out of ten isn't perfect but to me ten out of ten is as high as you can go that means you can't get any better. <laughs> So I always get a little nervous when I when I express my honest opinion about a book because I, I don't want to... One of the things I say is that uh, I don't think any writer wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to write a bad comic book today. And uh, I don't think Brian Hill did that. I don't think he woke up and said, I'm going to write a really boring Quanon story today. And yet here we are. Um, yeah, it's a toughie. It's a toughie to get through. Thankfully, we've only got two more to go. But uh, thank you so much for reaching out, Sean. I really appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for uh, reaching out. If uh, if anybody would like to get a hold of me, you can do so at Ace Comics on Twitter or at WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. You can find stuffs at ChrisIsOnInfiniteEarths.com and xlapse.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com on Facebook at 90sXmen, on Tumblr at x-lapsed something or another. Uh, one of these days I'm going to have to actually figure out what that address is so I can... Stop sounding like an idiot when I promote it half-heartedly. Um, the audio archives are at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Lots of good stuff there, lots of fun stuff, and lots more stuff to come there. So uh, one more giant thank you to everyone for reaching out and uh, and listening and lending me your ears. It uh, really means a lot to me. Next time we will be discussing Marauders, and uh, my hopes are high. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll, uh, we'll see that when we get there but uh, another huge thank you and uh, I will talk to you again real soon see ya Searching.